Father, as we uh, step forward into this next decade uh, as a church, as a people, in a world that is, uh, is changing around us, and, and as we try to figure out our place in, uh, in an environmental movement, and in government movements, and in, in social movements, and, and um, we know that the, the world of 2030 will look uh, so different. Father, we ask that you would, um, in these days, that you would give us vision for how the kingdom uh, advances and, and grows, and, and your way of love and your way of caring about our world will, will grow through us. Father, we want to understand your will for us as people in this world. We don't want to be, um, we don't want to be uh, servants of the various isms if they keep us from your way. And we don't want to be thinking that the other isms will in some way make the world the reign of righteousness that, that you can. And Father, in every way that the church is, uh, is uh, at, at large, not just Brookside, but the church everywhere, in, the, in whatever way that she is um, not serving your kingdom as you designed, Father, would you teach us to repent and how to be what you made us to be. And in, and in every way that Brookside, this local church, is designed to be what you want. Father, we ask that you would give us vision for it, that you'd be conforming us to it. That come the next 10 years hence, that we would look back and say we're so grateful that we got to be a part of what you designed us to do. Thank you. Amen. You may be seated. Kids, you may take off for Children's Church. Middle schoolers next week. New Year, getting everything started. We're a week late. It's okay. I hope it's okay. But middle schoolers next week, we'll have uh, middle school Sunday for you guys. Well, today is uh, a, a sort of an annual uh, tradition that, that Kevin started all those years ago. Today, we do sort of the, the state of the church address, which I'm very excited about this. This is um, some really uh, high-level graphic design I did here. Check this out. Huh? Huh? Yeah. The state of the Brookside Address. These things are always a little bit awkward for me, actually. Even as you plan them and think about them, it feels, and, and even listening to them, uh, um, I, I sometimes feel a little bit like that scene in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, a little bit of an older reference, but, but uh, where, the, where the jock is giving his speech and, and he's supposed to be describing, you know, their place in history and, you know, things are bigger, yet smaller. They're different, but the same. We have computers. Do you guys remember this? And then, and then it gets too awkward, doesn't know what else to do, and so he just yells, St. Demas High School Football Rules, you know, just like that. And I wonder, is that what these speeches are for us? You know, we do the state of the Brookside, make it feel better. St. Demas High School Brookside Rules, you know. No? Has anyone seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Because there is a sequel coming out this year, and you guys need to get caught up, all right? Yeah, that's right. Old Keanu Reeves and old other guy who didn't stay as famous as Keanu Reeves are going to be making another one, and so it's supposed to be coming out in August. So you need to know your movie references. All right, here we go. The State of the Brookside. How are we? What is, how do we even do this? You know, you, you can look at things that are peripheral, you know, organizationally. How do, how do we work together? Do we, do we work? Are we working together as a group? You know, and when you think organizationally, you might think um, uh, tawdry things like, and I, don't, and I do mean this in a funny way, finances. 
Finances are a funny piece of what we are because if we're not a generous people, it says something about our souls. And, uh, and, if, we, and if we financially are not um, giving, then what does that mean? But we can start to act like what the church, what God really needs is money. You know, the, another route. I'll just reference you to death. I don't care. And they're all old references because I'm old. But, you know, Bono and uh, that live album they did, you know, my God's not short of cash, mister. You know, we're not, my God's not short of cash. We're fine. As a matter of fact, if all our giving somehow disappeared, would, would it make a difference? Would we be fine? Could we continue to love one another? Could we continue to love the world? Could we continue to grow in Christ-likeness? We probably couldn't rent this facility, though. So we're really grateful. And by the way, in a year where, where there was some overturn in our people, you know, you overturn a pastor and all those sorts of things, and uh, your giving was so, uh, was so gracious and kind, and we're really grateful to you. Or maybe is organizationally something bigger than that? Is organizationally like, uh, I'm, I'm like three slides ahead of you by now, Bo. But uh, is it organizationally that we are working together as a group? And, and this is one of the things that we really do start to care about more. But even then, there's, there's some underheadedness to it. People are getting involved. When we, when we said into this year, we told you that we wanted to see more men and women picking up the mantle saying, I am the church, that your giftedness would be what builds us. And we want to be really careful what we mean by gifting as opposed to talent. And, and uh, the guitar over here, thank you, Jonathan, for playing. I also, I play electric guitar. And I, I love to play my electric. Uh, I have this hatred for acoustic guitars. We were discussing it last night. I just think they're the bane of existence. Electric guitars are really the one that God designed. When the, the acoustic happened at the fall. But, and I can play, I've been playing since the 80s, you know? That's right. I would put my Led Zeppelin tapes, tapes, that's right, not CDs, tapes in my player and play them until I could play those stupid things. And in all the years of playing guitar, no one has ever come to me and said, Steve, the way you played, mm, I feel so much more like Jesus now. You know? And, and even, you know, you watch Stan, Stan play sax. We all know, I mean, he's just ludicrously good. And if you're not a musician and you're like, how good is that guy? He's always playing saxophone there. Stupid good, like the kind of good that we're like, all oh, like we don't even know what to do with that kind of good. And as good as it is, Stan would tell you that it, it doesn't somehow cause people to be conformed to righteousness. But his kindness does. His way of loving people does. And we really wanted to build a church where your involvement and, and your talents matter, by the way. There's a lot of talents that go to put on a thing like this. Not just the band, but the, the art, you know, and, the, and the, the fun signs. We did new design this year, right? All of that's talent. And all of that's exciting. But what, all of that could cover over the fact that we are not moving in one another's lives to cause one another to become conformed to the image of Jesus. And that's what matters. It really does. If we are not loving one another, caring for one another, serving for one another, laying down our lives for one another, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. If that is not happening in us as a group, then we're failing. And I don't care how good the music sounds, and I don't care how good the art looks, and I don't care if, you, if we know how to do social media better than the other churches so that everyone wants to listen to our sermons online. It's like that, uh, that, those verses where Paul said, if I could speak in the tongues of men and angels and, and give my body to the flames to be martyred, and if I did it all but didn't have love, worthless, 
resounding gong, clanging cymbal, not worth your time. And are we as a people in our involvement with one another, see, because we can love one another, do we, do we create structures that help us to become more involved with loving one another, building one another, caring one another? That's what this thing's about, which leads us then, is it really an organizational thing that we should be doing with the state of the, the Brookside, or is it really the spiritual questions? Is it the questions that say, are we experiencing God? Are we loving one another? Are we becoming what he designed us to be? Because if the church isn't doing that, if it's functioning like, like you know, a perfectly greased machine and, and, and oiled machine, I think you want to oil a machine, right? The grease thing was weird, okay. But if we are becoming those things but have not love, what a waste of time. And so the real question coming across the year of 2019 is, and as we head into 2020, and this is where we start to really get beyond, you know, San Dimas High School Brookside rules to something that matters is, are we learning Jesus's way? When I was a kid, I was often taught things like, well, if the church is a bunch of hypocrites, people will, you know, they, they won't respond. Or if, you know, you, you are the only Jesus some people will only ever see. Have you ever heard those sorts of quotes? And there's this assumption that if our, you know, and we would say things like, mm, are you damaging your witness? If my witness to my world is not what it should be, do they have reason to reject Jesus? And I think it's a valid question, only if it's not asked carefully, what we fill in the blanks will be funny. And here's what I mean. When I say, is your witness helping people? What, what I always heard was, is your moralism up to snuff? Because if you sin too much, people are going to go, well, that guy's a sinner, and therefore he doesn't like Jesus. <laughs> because the answer to that gets even scarier. So what I'll do is I'll just pretend to my world that I don't sin. I'll pretend to my world that I am so together. And, you know, and so when I was in high school, that involved, I didn't drink and I didn't smoke. And, you know, and, and I didn't go with girls who do, you know, the, all right, yeah. Uh, I thought that was it. You know, as long as I kept my sort of my big time moral structures, which were apparently drinking and smoking. Oh, you know that verse about smoking? No, it's not in there. Oh. <laughs> Dang, but that was what I did. You know, I just had to sort of, am I keeping my moralism high enough? It's not going to cut it because it's not what Jesus taught us. And are we learning what he actually taught us? When Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone wants to do this thing with me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And Across the New Testament, we see these commands teaching us how to lay down our lives, how to turn the other cheek, how to be the sort who go the extra mile, how to be the sort that when our enemy asks us for our coat, we give, us, we give him our tunic as well. I take that literally. I keep a tunic in my backpack in case. No, but uh, sometimes I got to make you laugh. I don't know why. But are we learning Jesus' way? And I think as we look across, hopefully if you were a part of Brookside in 2019, you've been challenged not with, can you tidy up your morals better? But can, rather, can you learn how to lay down your life to pick up his? How to suffer in the face of persecution? How to handle it when your spouse treats you poorly? How to handle it? And some days I get it. Some days I handle really hard things and I don't lose an ounce of my joy. And other times, 
the first thing that ticks me off and I'm, I'm, I've already lost it. Am I learning to follow Jesus' way? Because you see, if the, we are going to be a witness to our world, it's not how moral you are. Oh, it'll matter if you preach a world of sin and then you keep doing the other one. That, that's going to affect people. But rather, it's can you keep your well-being in the face of persecution? Are we learning how to do that? Because that's way harder, but way more interesting. Spiritually, are we loving one another? From the beginning, this was one of the highest goals that we had. I mean, all the way back, Rob said church plant. But from the days that we were a church plant, meeting in the small, in that uh, room across from the movie theater. You guys know what I'm talking about? By the way, for those of you who aren't BG type, small is spelled S apostrophe mall. It's the small. Okay. But, uh, and, and we used to have that. It's, it's a, like a karate studio or something now. Uh, Karate for Jesus, though. Uh, I got nothing. We used to meet in there, and from the beginning, it wasn't, can we preach it correctly or do it? It was, are we going to love one another or not? And that was something we worked very hard to build. And if you're joining up with Brookside, your first question might be, mm, will they love me well enough? And I, and I got to challenge you. Don't allow yourself to ask the question. Because, not because it's bad, I don't know, bad, but because it will hurt you and will not help you. In other words, any organization you get involved with, whether it be Brookside or whether it be the, uh, the knitting club at work or, or anything you get involved with, I don't care, you get involved with the Black Swamp Music Festival, spiritual, not spiritual, big, small, anything you get involved with, you'll be tempted to ask the question, how does it serve my needs and do I like it? But the more you ask the question, the more it will never help you. It doesn't matter how much the group does. It will never live up because your soul is not designed to be fulfilled by getting what you want. I mean, us parents, you just watched it with Christmas, right? You gave your kids everything you want. Are their souls fulfilled yet? Did any of your kids come to you and say, it was magic, mom and dad. I'm finally fulfilled. It doesn't work that way, right? Christmas Day can be disappointing as a parent when we find out no matter how much I tried to fulfill it, it right? Okay. But you get involved with Brookside or the Knitting Club or, or whatever things I said, big or small. You want to get a really, you want to really enjoy it. You want to feel fulfilled. You want to feel like it was worth your time. You will find it in the things you got to give. You will find it in the opportunities you got to serve, in the opportunities you got to build and to kick in and to help and to make it happen. And so when you come to Brookside and you ask the question, are we loving one another? The real question in a state of the Brookside address is, are we opening doors for you to be able to love people? And that's my hope, is that you're finding ways, whether it be through community groups or, uh, or other small group things that we have to offer, or whether in the gatherings on Sunday morning, whether it's out in the triangle lobby, gathered around what used to be the coffee table, but now is being taken over by the hot chocolate people. <laughs> I love the hot chocolate people, ages 12 and under. This is around that place, <laughs> getting there. Mom and dad never let me have this much hot chocolate. They're like working their fourth cup of it on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Parents, you can decide what you want to do that with your children. We're not going to police it for you, though. But if you, they come home on a, on, on a hot chocolate buzz, we warned you, it's out there. Are we loving one another? Are you availed of the opportunities 
Here's my old church language. Yea, are ye availed of the opportunity to love? I hope so. Also, is our world around us seeing and responding to his way? This one is the one that always challenges me because uh, I grew up in a world that always, uh, always told us that we were supposed to be telling people about Jesus. And I had a love-hate relationship with this idea. Let me explain. When I saw and when I see, to this day, when I see changed lives, when I see brokenness and hurt and, and people trying to live by a way that can't work and it's broken them to pieces and they find the way of Jesus and, and it begins to put their life back together and they find joy and peace and redemption and reconciliation to the relationships and things begin to be put back together. It like, there's not a lot that can make me tear up. Redemption makes me tear up. It does. It blows my mind. I can't believe that I get to watch it and see it and be a part of it. But that was my love side of it. The hate part of it was the part where it felt like we were supposed to go evangelism people for Jesus, you know? So the people come to your doors. Yeah. On Christmas Day, the Mormons were at my door. Almost any time in the whole world, I'm like, you want to talk about Jesus? We're going to talk about Jesus. Come on, sit down. We're going to have a talk. I'm that guy. <laughs> most people, most people, they're not, no, thanks, whatever. I'm like, no, come on in. We're going to talk. Mmm, it's gonna be fun. Christmas Day for Colonel. What are you doing at my door? Right? Is that what I'm supposed to be? Am I supposed to be interrupting your life unwelcomed? Am I supposed to be telling you about this thing and when you didn't want to hear about it? Am I supposed to be, am I supposed to be uh, carrying signs? Uh, the, the students or the people who might remember on campus, the people who carry signs on campus, you know, listing which one of you are lascivious sinners. I didn't know the word lascivious until I saw the campus preachers lascivious. It sounds bad, doesn't it? It is. Stop it. You know, but, uh, <laughs> right? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and, and that's not necessarily what we're asking of you. Rather, what we're asking is for you to have an opportunity to recognize that if we're able to help people see and experience and experience the way of Jesus in our lives, maybe his way of life is exactly what this world is desperately needing. The word gospel, we're going to talk about this in a moment. The word gospel means good news. And so if we take out, uh, and the word evangelism, by the way, comes from the, uh, the Greek word evangelion, which means well, good news. And the question is huge to me. Are we good newsing people or not? Lascivious. Doesn't sound like good news. You know what I'm saying? Uh, are we able to help people see something that really matters because our world needs it. Our world needs answers. Which brings me to a broader question. This is what these, what do we do? You know, when we say a state of the church, we're doing great at some of it. Other, other times we've seen incredible freedom for some people in our, in our church and we've seen other lives fall apart. This is a community and a family. It's not just some sort of, uh, you know, like march toward perfection where we, where we grade everybody. And then if you got a D minus this year, we'll kick you out so we can look better as a church. No, we're a family and we work through these things together. So which brings me to a harder question that I'd love you to ask today. Instead of me giving a state of the Brookside address to you in the end, what I'd like you to do is give you a state of the U address. What's the state of the U? And I, I, I'll help you walk through it, but honestly, you've got to give the speech to yourself. 
And I hope you're doing it. And that's why we make New Year's resolutions. And sometimes we come out of the holidays and we look and go, oh, man, you know, there were a lot of Christmas cookies around. And I'm going to make a, a, a resolution to, to try to get rid of the weight that wasn't there on November 1st or, or whatever kinds of things. And maybe you've made other resolutions in your life. But when you look at the you, I want you to hear this, that you are subtly and quietly always giving you a state of the you address. You're always trying to take assessment of how you're doing and how you want to fix it. And I want to, as, as Christians and, and as the church gathered together as, as a place where we, where we try to be together as family, I want to offer you a couple diagnostics to look at your own being and rather than tell you what you ought to be and, you know, like, are you measuring up to something, I actually want you to decide for you what works. But in order to do it, I want to put the arch statement of the Christian faith, the one you see behind the, the, the goalposts on every football game, and I've never really figured out how that happens. Is there like some sort of club of people who buy season tickets to the behind the goalposts so you can throw the John 3.16 up? It, I used to think it was so cool when I was a kid, but then one day I started thinking through it strategically. It's every game I watch. How does this happen? It's got to be a secret society. I've just never met them. For God so loved the world. Can we stop at that? I, 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 I mean, maybe you've heard the verse. Maybe you've memorized it, whatever. Can we stop at that? Because if we don't start there, for God so loved the world, God's love is overwhelming. We'll come back to that. That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's start with the first question. As you think through the state of you address, the question that hides behind all questions, the questions that matters more than any of them, is not your sin life, it's not your faith life, it's not your performance life, it's not your prayer life, it's, oh, that's a good one though, it is this question, does God love you or not? I mean it. Does God love you or not? When you, when you get past all your theological statements about it, I mean in the spot where you're at work and you're worried about your job and you're wondering how you're going to pay the bills and you're wondering if, if this job performance review is going to work out or when you're at home and, and whenever you're at, what I said wherever you're at, I put at at the end of a clause. <laughs> wherever you are, does God love you or not? Is he going to provide for you? Does he have an identity for you that matters into eternity? Is God ready to meet you and make your world work? Well, that feels terrifying because I have a plan for my life, and when God doesn't agree with it, I have to decide if he's right. I have a plan for my life about my well-being and how I could work out and how I could feel well. And when, when God's like, well, let's go this way. And it feels like he's leading me through the valley of the shadow of death. I have a hard time sometimes saying I'll fear no evil. You know what I mean? And so this question, where's God's love in your life as you fly into 2020? Does he feel close? Or does he feel far? His love. Does it feel boring? To be honest, sometimes God's love bores me. 
I know it shouldn't, I'm the pastor, you know, we throw shoulds around all day, but there are times when my soul says, I need something, I need some well-being, and I know if I spend time in the scripture seeking him and in prayer, spending time with him, that I'm going to feel a certain wellness, and my soul kind of goes, oh, yeah, well, maybe another Netflix. You know what I'm talking about? Is God's love boring when you talk about it? Is God's love life-changing? Is God's love scaring you a little bit? Here's what I mean. Jesus, there's this beautiful moment, and we've talked about this a lot here uh, over the last year, where Jesus is in the river, and, and he's just been baptized, and the, the dove comes down from heaven, and the voice from the Father says, This is my son. God has good reverb. In whom I am well pleased. You know what I'm talking about? That moment in Jesus' life feels like God's love is good. It feels good. And, and maybe you've had those moments, maybe in prayer, maybe in worship, maybe some spot in the past, maybe some retreat you were at, some mountaintop experience. Maybe it's today. That would be great. Maybe God's love felt so good. But the problem that we have is we begin to say to God, that's what it's supposed to feel like. And if it doesn't, then you're abandoning me, God. But God the Father took his son Jesus into the desert to be tempted. It says the Spirit led him in the desert. It doesn't say Jesus took a wrong turn and abandoned God's love and went into the desert. It doesn't say Jesus screwed up and so God abandoned him and left him in the desert. It actually just says the Spirit took him there. And there he learned to trust God's love concerning the temptation of bread and jumping off a building and, and, and bowing down to Satan. You guys might have heard these stories. If you haven't, by the way, we stop. Because when we do these things together, sometimes it's, well, you were a part of this last year. You heard all these things. And maybe you're new today thinking, yeah, I actually didn't hear any of those. And maybe if you're new here today, you're, you're feeling, am I welcome here? Am I not welcome here? Well, of course you're welcome. But this one's important. Are we secretly judging you? And the answer is no. No. I know some of you are in really exciting places in your life. And I know some of you are in the most embarrassing place you've ever been in your life. You thought you were on this road, and, and now you, here you are, and life's a mess. And, and maybe if you're the new one, you're thinking, are they all the perfect people, and I'm not? Nope. <laughs> nah. Wherever you are today, we love you right there. We would love to see the gospel meet you and grow your life, just like our own lives. But believe me, wherever you are, you're perfect. You fit just with us, because we also are wherever we are. Good job with that. All right? But is God's love life-changing? You take the state that you address, where's his love? Because if it's stale or boring or far, if you feel like God's angry with you, if you feel like God's mean, if God wants to hurt you, then the rest of this is going to begin to fall apart because the whole point of this is for God so loved the world, God's love is the thing that he wants to change us. And how he did it is he gave us his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish. We want to just stop because most of us have heard this verse in our, through our life and heard would not go to heaven hell, would not, when they die one day, be condemned to the fiery pit. You know, you know like, uh, and I remember when I was at, at a camp when I was a little kid and sitting around the fire and the person is like, look into that fire, kids. You know, hell will be hotter, you know, whatever. <laughs> and we would hear this person say, God wants to get me out of that Deal. <laughs> I also do not want to go to the hell with the fires. But, the, but listen to me. The word perish. Right now, in our fruit bowl, is the last banana. It's gotten brown and yucky. 
My nephew's in town visiting. He said, hey, have any fruit? I looked over and I had some apples and that banana sitting there. You know what I didn't offer him? The one that's perishing. The rotten, gross banana. It'll do all right as banana bread later, I hope. But that's pretty much all it's good for. Banana bread. Whoever believes in him would not rot like fruit in a bowl like a peach that's been sitting there too long and it's peach juice is sitting at its feet and it's kind of cracked open and there's some fruit flies around it. Does your life feel like that? Or, what or does your life actually feel alive and enjoy and it has a sense of purpose and where it's going? You see, as we go in today, this is called the gospel, but the word gospel, the word evangelism, it means good news. And so today we need to ask, is Jesus meeting your life with the good news? Where is your gospel today? You might have a theological one. You know, I believe, in, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. You, know, you, you might have the right theological construction. Maybe you work the Apostles' Creed. Maybe you work the, uh, like the more the Baptist one. You know, with every high, head bowed and every eye closed, does anyone need to be saved here today? And you come up and we pray and you, and you try to get your life right with, what is your good news gospel today in your life? And when we look at it, it's not the theological one I'm looking for, it's the practical one. As you take the state of the you address, what is your time telling you is good news? What is your time telling you? When you if, if, if I actually took your whole schedule, and not the one that you write, but the one you actually lived, if you looked at mine, and here's the thing, the ones that promise life that you spend time on, are they actually giving you life or were they false advertising? Were they false advertising? Because if you're investing your time in things that promised life but aren't giving it, you're starving. And it's going to make you do things that you don't want to do. Starving hearts do bad stuff. The next one, what does your money tell you is the gospel? Where do you put your money? Where do you spend it? And maybe not just what are you uh, retail therapying on, although retail therapy might tell you something about you as you do the state of the you address, but also what if you're one that no matter how much money you have, you still worry? No matter, no matter how big the savings account ever has gotten, maybe you're still loaded with anxiety. Anxiety, although it has real biological roots, I do not want to minimize anybody's anxiety, and yet the mental state of anxiety is universally the fear that life is going to disappear from you and you won't know where. You know, fear, oh, I left the stove on, I go turn it off. But you ever have that, uh, that like nagging feeling that you told yourself to do something and then you forgot and, then, and you know something's being undone but you can't remember what it is and it's like back here in your, your consciousness but you can't find it? Imagine feeling like that all the time. Because anxiety is universally the fear that life is, is somewhere beyond my notice and reckoning and if I just keep looking for it and finding it but I can't find it, life is going to disappear from me. And, I, and some people live that way perpetually. And again, there are real biological reasons for this. I do not want to minimize what we go through. And yet, if you want to battle it on your spiritual and on your mental end, you have to ask yourself things like concerning money. Can my God take care of me? Does he love me? Or is enough money? Or does what I spend my money on really bring me life? What about your work? Is a promotion going to finally make you feel alive? Is, is, 
Or maybe you're the one, are you the one at work who you look for ways to slack off because you think that not working at work will bring you life, despite the fact that it makes an eight-hour day feel like 24 hours somehow? But, or, or maybe you're the one at work who it's just gotten so difficult and if you feel like you're opposed all the time by people. I have a friend who, who, whose job's hard, and there is a lot of just cynical and angry and mean-spirited people around him, and we talked about it, and he's like, some days it just overwhelms him, and other days, even in the midst of it, he just finds that God is good, and he can talk to God and live the gospel in the middle of it, like all of us, learning to be a disciple of the kingdom. How does work tell you about what's the good news in your family? Some of your families hurt. Some of your families feel like a, a, a lovely place to be. And, and it's this place where we're supposed to be really loved. Work didn't promise to be all that loving to you, let's be honest. But your family, that's the advertisement. And maybe when Christmas comes or all these things that just, we just passed through, maybe they've given you a state of the family address. Not how is your family, but rather did, it, did you try to get life from your family that families can't give? What is the state of the you? Here's one that I want to throw up here because I've been seeing it a lot. Self-care. This one seems important. When I feel not well, do I take a bubble bath? You know, like maybe spend some time at the spa. What is the good news in it? You know, uh, I've been working on getting on the, the, the treadmill, you know, like the hamster wheel. I'm trying to... And, and it's not just that I'd like to be in better shape. It actually feels good to have worked out. And my friend Michael Brown preaches sweat every day, you know. There's a subtle thing that can happen, though. You see, when any of these things, look at this, time, money, work, family, self-care, any of these things is a gift from my father when, when in his power with him, he's like, oh, this is a good one. Let's go do this together. They are an utter gift and they fill me with life. But when time, money, family, work, self-care, when any of them is my way of saying to God, mm, God, you don't have me covered. I'll go ahead and take care of this myself. None of them work. What's the, uh, not Joanna Gaines, but the, the, uh, does it bring you joy, lady? Get rid of all the clutter. You can declutter until all the decluttering has decluttered away and everything is clean. And if you did it believing that God is not good and that this is the salvation of your life, it will not work. You see how this works? Thus the phrase, and I need you to remember this, anything that comes from the hand of God is a gift. Anything that is taken from the hand of God will hurt you. Let me say that again. Anything that is given, like, ah, oh, let's do this. Let's get self-care together. Let's enjoy your family together. Let's, oh, I gave you money, and I want you to be able to spend it even on things that bring joy. Let's do it. When it's with him, it will buoy your soul. It will be the gospel of your soul. But when our life is taken from him, you don't have life, God, and so I need to go get it for me, and I'm going to go take care of this, and I will give you your religious peace. So thank you, God. Can you just go ahead and stay over there? When that happens to you, it does not matter what you invest in. It will rot like a banana in your soul. State of the you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus wants to bring salvation. So, uh, the word salvation is related to the word salvage. He wants to salvage the world. 
Through this last year, we used a lot of images, the broken cello or the broken, the broken piano or things that are broken that, that are not repurposed to something else. That's not God's plan to repurpose you to something else. So I had like the, the dumb canoe that someone made like a bench out of, if you recall, if you were here. But rather, God's desire is to remake you into what you are. Let me say that again. God's desire is to remake you into what you are. The thing that he created, the thing that he wanted to be, the thing that is wrecked and broken and marred by the fall. God's desire is to see you become what you are truly made to be. And your soul will not feel okay until it is that. That's why you're always looking for an identity. That's why your heart's always thinking maybe a raise or some other place. Your heart believes that when you're finally the thing that you're supposed to be. And now here's the thing I want you to hear, though. Quite often especially younger kids, I think a lot of us felt this. Quite often, we come to believe God's plan for me is boring and awful and, and weird. And if I have to be that, then I will feel awful. And so what I, I, I kind of have to make an identity for me, but I have to do it in a way that doesn't make him too mad. But no matter what identity you try after, it's going to leave you empty, broken, like when Shaquille O'Neal, who, who in high school did not win a state championship and then went off to Louisiana State University and despite being the best basketball player in the world, probably even in college, they did not win the national championship. And then he goes to the pros with the Orlando Magic and they still can't win a championship. Blame it on Penny Hardaway. And then he finally goes to the Lakers and gets together with uh, Kobe and, and company, although they did not get along. Basketball historians know how this worked. They won championships. And when Shaquille O'Neal, who's been longing for a championship, and, and that was always the, the, the mock on him was, yeah, he's really good, but he doesn't win. And he finally wins, and he's there, and he has what his soul has been longing for his entire life, and he gets there. And I remember sitting, still in his uniform, in the locker room, looking up saying, I don't know, it wasn't as good as I hoped. Maybe I'll have to win another one. Wah, wah. Do we really believe he has life for our world? Because if that's the case, does your life matter to others? Because if the good news is not good news to you, how could it be good news to them? But if your life really believes that, like Paul said with that famous, I've learned the secret, whether in plenty or in want, whether I'm being persecuted or not persecuted, no matter what happens, I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. He was also saying that, be, you know, if he wrote it on his, on, his, on his shoes, he could high jump seven feet. But what he really meant by that that's a joke because athletes love that. They think that they can succeed, isn't it? No? It's funny. All right. Ha ha. Thank you. Yeah, good. All right. What he's really saying is no matter what life throws at me because I have my father's love, I'm good. And, and that's what Christianity really has to offer the world because that's what we want you to offer the world. We don't need you to evangelism people, but we do really want you to see that as Jesus changes your life, that he can bring the good news to them. To that coworker whose divorce is crushing them underneath. To that, to, that, uh, to that friend who can't seem to make life work. And when I just am trying this or here's my new try. Not get your life right with God, but rather can Jesus teach you to live life in a way that really works? Does his way show on you? The next one. Do you love them? When you take the state of the U address and you see the people who are not following Jesus, does your heart love them or, does it or do you find yourself secretly being filled with judgment for people who do that which you don't believe is right? Has your judgment helped anybody yet? 
Has shaming, has shaming people ever really brought the gospel to anybody? Now, by the way, we don't have to do the world's thing where we act like it's, it's fine. Hey, you're on fire, but hey, who am I to judge? Oh, that person's, I don't know, or, but judging. Oh, you're on fire, you on fireist. Oh man, I could see you burning there and I want to bring peace and wellness to you is what we long to be able to do. Do you love them? Do you really love them? And then finally this. Do you have a gospel for them? Do you have good news for you? Do you understand how to help your world see good news in Jesus Christ? Maybe not in religion, at least not as how that word is usually presented to us, but in this one, that whether in health or in want, man, why don't you guys come up? Whether the world's going well for you, whether the finances are up or down, whether your time's up or down, whether your health is up or down, in all of it, can you give good news to you because your Father loves you and that no matter what happens, your worst case scenario is eternity with Him or because you have no good news, do you have no good news to give them? I have two longings for you this coming year. We'll call it three. I long that you will be continuing to examine and try out Jesus' way, his way of life, his way of living. I long that it will affect your world. There is nothing more fun than when we've got the baptismal right here in the middle and we're, and we're, we're dunking people and saying we're followers of Christ. It's really fun. And I want you to be free. Really free. Free from the law and all that foolishness, but also free from all the broken addictions that you thought that freedom could bring you. Maybe it's been alcohol, or maybe it's been, maybe it's been money, or maybe it's been, uh, maybe it's been porn, or maybe it's been uh, all, I don't, whatever your addiction, whatever the thing that you've been going to saying, God, you don't love me, I need this, this is how I will get my life, and it's choking you to death. I long for you to have freedom this year, real freedom. And I want to challenge you in your state of the you and your state of the us address. Are you ready to be part of the gospel? Thanks. Father, forgive us all the gospels we preach that don't require you. Forgive us for believing like Adam and Eve did that we can make this uh, better than you, that we've got a better plan than you, and that... Uh, Forgive us all the ways that we minimize how wise and strong and powerful you are and think that our frail and uh, small beings are just better at this than you. Not just in our own lives, but in the way we treat the world and men and everything else. Father, forgive us the anger that we pour into the world and the, and the, the frustration and the, and the bitterness and the, uh, the un-Jesus that we pour into our world because... We're still eating the fruit with Adam and Eve. Give us eyes to see what it takes to, Lord, to, to, to be filled with you and to be empowered by you and to really live out of your love. Father, I know that so often those sorts of words sound like just sort of spiritual, spiritual maxisms, that, maxims that don't really mean anything. But Father, would you give us eyes to understand what it actually means to be moved and to be empowered by the gospel of your love. Thank you. All right, well, you can be seated for just a moment. I apologize. We, uh, we have a red countdown timer that yells at me when I'm getting too far in, and it was, you know, like when you go back to work in the new year, and you're like, oh, what am I supposed to be doing here? 
I forgot the countdown timer. I went way over. But this one's important. Heather, come on up. Um, so throughout the centuries, one of the things Christians have done in taking the gospel to the world is required missionaries. The missionaries of old who would literally pack up their uh, belongings in the casket that they knew they would be buried in and would go to places. But one of the crazy things about the modern world is that the nations come to us. The nations come to towns like Bowling Green, of all places. But more so places like Ann Arbor, which is stealing our Heather from us. Mm. But uh, here's the deal. Uh, we, we work with a, a ministry called Bridges. Bridges works to really uh, welcome and accept and, and to bring life and love and the hope of Jesus even to the internationals who come to our schools. And Heather uh, works for Bridges and um, over the last year has been sort of working on raising the funds to be able to do all those things. And when you get to 100%, they say, all right, we'll get to work. Enter assignments, Ann Arbor. So she's going to go with them. That's right them. As long as you don't go to the Michigan Stadium and root for them, we're okay with you. But I'm from Michigan. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> All right, yes. Go balloon. All right. Heather's leaving us today, and so we, as we just continue to launch out all the uh, incredible men and women who've been a part of our church who God's taking somewhere else, Heather is this week. It's all right, Tyler. Let him, let him fly. Father, we are so grateful for what you've done in Heather. I remember uh, the student who got involved with us and the peace that she always brings everywhere she is, the sense of wellness and wisdom. Father, I ask that in these days as she tries to figure out how to serve you well and how to uh, manage what it means to be a, quote, professional Christian, whatever the heck that means. Father, I ask that you would give her intense life from you, the sense that she is your daughter and that you love her and that there is no earning with you and that there is no, um, there's no thing that she's going to do that is going to cause her to uh, suddenly be loved in your sight because she just is, that you so love the Heather that you gave your son, that she would not rot like a banana in my fruit bowl, but that she would be really alive, even, even, Lord, at Michigan. Thank you so much. Amen. All right. Um, uh, just as by way of announcements, um, I know I was supposed to have two, Amy, but I'll always forget one, and uh, you'll tell me what it is. But the big one is, as we continue to careen toward the one another retreat, here's the deal, why we would have a retreat like this. Um, because a lot of us are still struggling to get to know one another. You get involved with a group like this, you come on Sunday morning, you shake hands with some people, but you go away to a retreat, and it's just up in Toledo. It's not far. You can get a hotel there if you'd like, if you want it to really feel like a getaway getaway. But we're going to be in the, uh, it's called the, the Roost, right? It's going to be great. It's really fun up there, uh, right over by uh, the park. Um, and we are just going to have a great weekend discussing how love really works. How does love work in your marriage? How does love wor work in your life, in your family, and in and, and, and us? But the real goal of it, the real, real, real goal, is that you would have a weekend to really get to know people and to feel like you really are part of this family. So by all means, the signups will be going from now until Valentine's Day weekend there. And uh, please consider taking some time to get away with us that you could really feel as much a part of us as we know how to help you do it. So thank you so much. And my other announcement, Amy, was? Oh, yeah, real quick. Because uh, the university let us set up way back on the 20-something of December, and we've been set up since then, we didn't have a setup crew today. And so if you have teardown skills, if you'd be willing to throw a little bit of your work into wrapping cables and getting this place torn down today, we would be oh so very grateful. Thank you. Have a great Sunday. See you soon.